0: Well, this is the last sermon in a 15-week series that we've called Encounters with God, Stories of Grace Overcoming Guilt. This has been an unusual series in the sense that typically the way I preach is I take a passage at a time and work our way through a chapter of the Bible or a book of the Bible. This series we've dropped down into different parts of the Bible to focus on an episode in which God Himself confronted a human being. And the reason why we're doing that is because we want to understand what does it look like when a person encounters God. That's why we've called this encounters with God. We started from the very beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned. And God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He called out to Adam and he said, Adam, where are you? We moved on to Cain. And Abel, right after Cain, had murdered his brother. And God calls out to Cain and says, Where is Abel, your brother? We moved on and we took two episodes from the life of Abraham. One in which Abraham has this uh, hears the voice of God promising that he will inhabit a country that he's not even seen, and that he will have descendants that are as multitudinous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham sees his vision of God passing through these two rows of slaughtered animals. God is saying that he's going to keep that promise no matter what. We looked at Moses. Moses sees this bush, and it's on fire, and he turns aside to look at it, and upon further inspection, he realizes that although the bush is on fire, it's not consumed. The green leaves of this desert bush are not withered into charcoals because of this fire. Rather, it is on fire, burning, but not consumed. We looked at Isaiah Uh, Before that, we looked at at David, how David was given a promise that he would have a a dynasty and that his ultimate descendant would be the king of kings and the lord of lords. We looked at Isaiah. He has this vision of the Lord high and lifted up with angels who are saying, holy, holy, holy. We looked at this encounter that Peter had with Jesus Christ. And finally, we ended with the encounter that Then we looked at the encounter of Paul on the road to Damascus and ended with John's encounter with the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Now all these encounters with God, that we've looked at, have something in common, at least one thing in common. And I, I hope that you've been thinking about this even as I've just kind of reviewed this for you. The thing that all these have in common, at least one thing that these have in common, is that they all have the element of the supernatural, the miraculous. Something out of the ordinary happens. Like God speaks to Samuel in a voice Samuel could hear. God appears to Moses in a bush that's on fire but not burned up. Paul gets Knocked to the ground on the road to Damascus by this laser beam-like shaft of light. And, and he says, who are you, Lord? He has this encounter with God. All of these encounters have had some component of the supernatural or the miraculous. And this raises an important question for us today. Because we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it even possible for us to have an encounter with God? God. Or are these episodes and antiquated stories that we read about etched into the margins of history books by superstitious ancients that may provide some amusement for the modern reader or some inspiration for globally religious people? Because each one of these episodes have had some element of the miraculous, of the supernatural, We, we look at this and we think... But is this for us today? Like how does God encounter us now? Is it even possible for us to have such a life-transforming experience of God's glory today? And before we answer that question, I want us to consider how important it is for us to know. In each one of these encounters with God, the individual who encountered God his or her problem was, was solved, was met. Adam and Eve were, were drowning in their guilt and sense of shame. And in that encounter with God, God gave them the first glimpse of the good news, the gospel, that would rescue them from their sin. Moses, for example, was responsible to lead a nation from their captivity in Egypt. And God was telling him who he was and why he had the power and the authority uh, to allow Moses to lead them out of Israel. Paul, self-righteous, running along the road to persecute followers of Jesus, muffled by his own pride and self-made religion, needed To be met by Jesus and realize that there was nothing he could do to have a right relationship with God on his own apart from the merits of Christ. In each one of these cases, the person who met God encountered exactly what they needed. Elijah, flattened like a pancake in his discouragement, needed an encouraging word from God. And this is an incredibly important thing for us to ask. Is it possible for us? Do we ever find ourselves off course in life, or ashamed, or fearful, or guilty, or discouraged. And in each case, it's an encounter with God that turns guilt into forgiveness, and fear into courage, and despair into joy. So this is no theoretical question. What I ask, is it possible for us today to have such a life-changing encounter with God? It, It matters. It really matters because we need this. How is it possible for God to meet us in a way that is so real and transforming? And the New Testament presents a very clear answer to that question. We find it all throughout the New Testament but it's stated especially clearly here in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. The verse says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's the answer. Yes, it is possible to have a genuine encounter with a life-changing glory of God But no, it may not happen through a dramatic emotional breakthrough or an intellectual aha moment, a paradigm shift. How does it happen? It happens only through Jesus Christ. The only way to have a true life-changing encounter with God that is no less real than the miraculous encounters of God, with God we've dealt with the past several weeks, Is through Jesus Christ, precisely because of what Paul writes here, that the same God who spoke light into existence is the same one who shines a knowledge of his glory right into the darkness of our hearts. How does he do it? Through the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, this, it is only through Jesus who he is and what he has done that we can have an encounter with God. And so, I aim to unfold this truth for us that only, only through Christ can we have an encounter with God in the three recurring themes that have emerged in every sermon in this series. Every episode that we've looked at has had these three themes in common. First, a truth about ourselves, a truth about God, and a truth about His grace, okay? So, only through Christ can we grasp the truth about ourselves, The truth about God and the truth about the grace He offers us. And we're going to see this not only from this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, but also from other verses throughout the New Testament. All right, so let's look at this. How can we have an encounter with God today? It happens through Jesus Christ because only through Christ can we first grasp the truth about ourselves. Do you want to know who you are? Do you ever have a hard time figuring out who you are? It seems like adults, we adults should have figured this out a long time ago, but sometimes we find ourselves confused, who am I? There's an ancient Greek oracle that's inscribed, that was inscribed at the temple of Delphi and it says this, two words, know thyself. And this search for self-knowledge, for understanding ourselves, has continued through the ages and it's often a theme in books, and plays and movies as the central character is trying to understand Who am I? So ironic that throughout the ages we human beings simply don't seem to understand ourselves And we're constantly trying to figure ourselves out the person who Supposedly should know you the best yourself is apparently the one who knows you the least How strange is that? The question is, okay, how will we know? How will you know who you are? Are you going to rely on other people to tell you? Can you rely on other people around you to tell you what they really think about you? Have you ever gone throughout the day, and at the end of the day, you realize there's something terribly wrong with your outfit or your face or something? And you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize, I've gone around the entire day and nobody ever told me that. <laughs> it makes you rethink who you have for friends, right? <laughs> I mean, why, why is it even possible to happen? Why? Because sometimes people don't want to tell you what's true about yourself. In fact, some people guess that a lot of human society and our social interaction revolves around flattery, and deceit. It's sometimes painful both for the person telling the truth and for the person hearing the truth. And that's true on such a trivial level. How much more is it true on a deeper level of who we are as individuals? But suppose we did hear the truth about ourselves. Suppose we were told really who we are or what we're like. Would we even believe it? Would we even be willing to receive the truth? I mean the fact is, we are sometimes afraid to look in a physical mirror. But man, we're afraid to look in the mirror and understand really what we're like. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1. He says that human beings became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. This is also what Jeremiah writes in chapter 17 and verse 9 of his prophecy. He says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? Like who can even know their own heart? And even if we were to hear the truth, how would we be willing to receive and believe what is true about us? Is it really as bad as we suspect? What we've said is that only through Jesus can we understand ourselves. How is that true? Because Jesus, in dying on the cross for our sins, tells us how sinful we really are. You want to know the truth about ourselves? Here's the truth. By his death for our sin, Jesus tells us. We are more sinful than we had even believed, even understood. Why? Because it took the perfect sinless Son of God to die for our sins. What a statement about our condition. That we are so sinful that Jesus died for our sins. Can you bear that truth? Not unless it comes with this second one. That Jesus' death for us tells us how loved we are. You see that at the same time that Jesus tells us our true condition, that we are so sinful that it took the death of the Son of God to make our sin right, it also tells us how how truly loved we are. Yes, we're more sinful than we had even imagined, but we are also more loved than we had even hoped. That is the message of the gospel. How can we hear such a message? How can we understand truly our true condition? It's only by understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Only through Jesus Christ can we know ourselves. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. I, I want you to listen to this verse. You don't need to turn there while to read it for us. Paul writes this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, understand what Paul is saying. He's saying, I am, for all I know, for all I know about myself, and for all I know about what Jesus has done for me, I've got to be the worst possible sinner. But that statement doesn't result in despair for him. Why? Why? Because it is joined with the other statement that that is exactly the kind of person Jesus came to save. See, this is what Jesus meant when he came to earth and he was talking about the people that he came to save. I have not come to call the righteous, but who's to repentance? the sinners, those who know about themselves that they are desperately in need of a savior. The son of man came to seek and to save. He says that which was lost. We see this illustrated so beautifully with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a famous story partly because of its humor and partly because of its depth, how how important it is for understanding. Zacchaeus was this little guy in stature, so small he couldn't see over the heads of the crowd in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. But Zacchaeus was also great in wealth. He was a tax collector, a chief of tax collectors, which meant that he was in charge of people who would extort others out of their money. In passing along funds to the Roman government, they would charge whatever they wanted for themselves. And that's how they got so wealthy. And Zacchaeus is right in the middle of all this extortion and taxation. But he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so this wealthy, dignified man scampers up a tree to see Jesus. And little does Zacchaeus know that Jesus has been looking for him. Because when he passes that tree, Jesus looks up and sees behind the leaves wealthy, dignified, crook Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. You know, Jesus, after he goes to the house of Zacchaeus, uh, after he goes to the house of Zacchaeus, the religious leaders are grumbling about it. Why? Why? Because Jesus has gone to to eat with a man who is a sinner. And you know what Jesus says at the end of that story? He says, exactly. Because that's the kind of person that I've come to save. It's to seek and to save that which was lost. Yet Jesus tells us who we are. And apart from Christ, we won't understand ourselves. Apart from Christ, we'll be so inclined to deceive ourselves about who we are. Jesus alone can tell us, yes, you're a sinner, but yes, you are so loved that I came to seek you and to die on the cross for you. You see, only through Christ can we know ourselves. Only through Christ can we grasp the truth about ourselves. But here's the second theme that we've seen. Only through Christ can we grasp the truth about God. Only through Christ do we grasp the truth about ourselves, but only through Christ can we grasp the truth about God. Now throughout history, people have had very little trouble believing in a God or the gods, depending on how many they think there are. Everybody, not everybody, but most people have some idea that there must be something out there. This is what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 19.1 when he says the heavens declare the glory of God. And yet what people can't seem to agree on is what God is like. Everybody has this idea that there is something out there, something responsible for our existence, but who is this God and what is he like? Here's a couple questions that we wrestle with. Is this God completely just And righteous? Requiring absolute perfection. The judge of the earth who will make everything right? Or is he a God of mercy who will just sweep all the wrongs under some cosmic rug? What kind of God is he? If he's a God of justice, we understand that we do want justice for this world. When unfair things happen to us, we cry out, make it right! We cry out for justice. And yet in our very cry for justice, we realize that we are condemning ourselves. Because woven right into the fabric of our hearts is our evil nature, sinful nature. And yet we know that we need a God of mercy who can forgive. Is God completely righteous or is he completely merciful? Is he a just judge who will hold hold evildoers to account or a merciful God who forgives sinners? How can he be both righteous and merciful? And again, here's where we see the truth only through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Because only through Christ do we see how God pours out his righteous wrath upon sin. Yes, God does judge sin. Yes, God is a holy God. That's why Jesus Christ died for sin. And yet, in dying for sin, God shows his mercy. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 3. He's saying that God put forth Christ as a propitiation for our sins. In other words, as a sacrifice, an atonement for our sins. To show that he can both be just and the justifier of the person who believes in Jesus. How is it possible for God to declare sinners to be righteous? It's only possible because the righteous one, the sinless one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in the place of sinners. That's how it's possible. That's who this God is. We can't know God any other way than through Jesus Christ because only Jesus reveals God as a God who is perfectly righteous and perfectly merciful and who extends his mercy to us as sinners. Only through Christ can we grasp the truth about God. And third, only through Christ can we grasp the grace that God offers us. Only through Christ can we grasp the grace that God offers us. Realize that over and over again throughout this series, we've emphasized this, that where sin abounded, what? Grace did much more abound. And we found that grace abounded in the least likely of places. When God confronted Adam and Eve after they had sinned, He speaks to them in order. He speaks to Adam and says, Adam, what have you done? And Adam passes the blame on to Eve. That's so characteristic of humans, isn't it? And then Eve is confronted and Eve passes the blame on to the serpent. And so God deals with them in that order and he speaks to each one in turn to the serpent and then to the woman and then to the man and he pronounces the judgment on them. Where would you expect to find the grace of God in that? In the most unlikely of places. It is in God's curse on the serpent. Because he says to the serpent, that although the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. In the most unlikely of places where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. You think about Cain and Abel, this dark story of of the first murder of a brother killing his brother for jealousy. Where is the hope and the grace to be found there? God says to Cain, the blood of your brother is crying to me up out of the ground. What is it crying? It's crying for justice. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Whereas the blood of Abel cries for justice, the blood of Christ. Christ for mercy. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We see this in every episode, in every encounter with God. That it was the moment when we realized that we are sinners. That what we have done has made us guilty before God. That God extends his grace to us. It's grace to the humble. That's why Peter writes in his first epistle in chapter 5, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's where grace is to be found. God's grace abounds over sin. Nothing, my friends, is too hard for God. God. It could be that you are here this morning and you do feel overwhelmed by your own sin. You you feel genuinely ashamed and genuinely burdened by guilt. These these are not mere stories, my friends. These are evidences of God's grace at work in your life. If God could, could show grace to a sinner like Isaiah, who said, woe is me, for I am undone, I have unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, he can show grace to you too. If he can show grace and mercy to an adulterous murderer like David, he can show grace to you too. If he can show grace, encouraging grace, to discouraged Elijah, who trudged to distance Sinai to hear a word from God, he can show grace to you and your discouragement too. If he can show grace to Peter, who three times denied Christ, he can show grace to you too. If he showed grace to Paul, who was persecuting followers of Jesus, my friend, he can show grace to you too. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is no limits to the grace of God. There is, there is no distance too far. There is no pit so deep that you can escape God's ability to reach you with his grace. So where grace abounds, sin, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. God's grace abounds over sin, but also God's grace comes in believing in Jesus and what he has done for you. And this is true whether you're embracing it for the very first time. Whether right now, in this moment, you realize, I've never really understood the immensity of the grace of God. I didn't know it was that powerful. I didn't know it could reach someone like me. Whether you're, you're embracing that for the first time or whether this is something you've known and loved, this is how it comes. It comes through Jesus Christ and realizing who he is and what he's done for you. Grace for salvation. By grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. Maybe it's grace for forgiveness. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving somebody. Here's what the Bible says, that we can forgive one another, why? Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Maybe it's grace to love someone that you find difficult to love. Maybe it's grace to find something that you're enduring right now that's very difficult to endure. My friend, whatever it is, this grace comes through understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Only through Christ can we grasp the grace that God offers us. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, if you don't even know that you know this or that you have believed in this, this is what you need to do, to believe In the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and the Bible promises that you'll be saved. But maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer. Like, this is something that I know to be true. I want to encourage you with this. We've been looking at encounters with God, but there is a way for you to have an encounter with God every single day, for you to behold the glory of God and be changed by it on a daily basis. And we see that in chapter 3 of 2nd Corinthians. We're looking at chapter 4 and verse 6, but go back a little bit in your Bible to 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Look at this, my friends. Paul writes, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How can you have such encounters with God that genuinely change you? Not just pounding you by guilt and shame, not just motivated by pride, but a change that is real and genuine that comes from the inside out. Here it is. It's as you see Jesus Christ and his glory in the Word of God. This is how you change. This is how you behold the glory of God. This is how you see sin for what it is so that you could turn away from it. This is how you see the glory and the attractiveness of Jesus so that you turn toward him. This, my friends, is how we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's by having a daily encounter with Jesus through his word. That's how we grow. That's how we flourish. That's how we thrive as believers. And as the glory of God fills your heart through Jesus Christ, you will, as this verse says, be conformed, be changed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next. What does that mean? That means you're increasing in Christ-likeness. That's the goal of your life. That's what God is doing in your life right now. Every, circumstances that he's, every circumstance that he's brought about in your life right now, he's doing so that you'll be more like Jesus Christ. And that happens as you behold his glory in his word. It could be that for some reason, you have lost the wonder of of the glory of God, that to you the things of God have become somehow mundane or trivial, that you don't value it like you used to. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Behold the glory of God through Jesus Christ and find your heart leaping with joy because of what he's done for you. It could be that you have piled up around yourself all kinds of anxieties or resentments or lusts or pursuit of little trinkets that have deafened your ears against the voice of Christ. Do whatever you need to clear those out of the way so that you can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus was speaking with his disciples. We have this recorded in John 14. And one of his disciples asks, tells Jesus this, Jesus, show us the Father and that would be good enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you and you have not known me? Whoever knows me, Jesus says, knows the Father. This is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through Jesus Christ, who shows us that we are more sinful than we had ever imagined, but more loved than we had ever dared hope. That he is both righteous and merciful, and that he extends our grace, his grace to us, so that the story of our lives can be a story of grace overcoming guilt.